In the New Testament Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, there are three stories. A shepherd loses a sheep, a woman that we presume is poor loses some money, and a parent loses a child. Simple, yet profound. These stories move us because they speak to reality. Today on Ministry in Motion, we're going to explore why people leave the church, why people don't leave the church, and what we can do to minister to those who leave. Our topic today is caring for those who are giving up on the church. And our guest, David Trim. You're watching Ministry in Motion, where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. David, this is a major issue. Can you give us some background, some factual statistical details on just how bad things are? Anthony, I'm happy to in one sense, but uh, unhappy to do so in another. We know uh, from our own church's statistics, dating back to 1964, uh, how many people have been Adventists and how many people who have left the church, as well as how many people have died. So in what we're talking about now, we're not talking about people who die because death is typically involuntary, uh, whereas leaving the church involves some degree of, of choice. So what we know is that 42% of the people who have been Seventh-day Adventists in the last 54 years have left the church. We're talking about 14 million people who were members of the church. They didn't think about joining. They didn't you know, flirt with the idea. They didn't just attend. These were people who were baptized members of the church. Just over 14 million are no longer members. And actually, that's the best case scenario because we don't have accurate figures from certain parts of the world. And when we finish membership audits, we'll have a clearer understanding and we'll know that the proportion is probably higher. But we can say with certainty it's at least 42%. That is staggering. It's horrific. I, my mouth is just 42%, 14 million. They, there, there are countries that have populations that are less than 14 million. Indeed, indeed. It, it's staggering. Wow. Um, the awareness of this? Anthony, you know, as a church, since I think the 80s, we have put a huge emphasis on baptisms. Which is important. Which is important. But the problem is we, the message we have subliminally sent out as church leaders is that all that matters is baptisms. And what happens once they're baptized, it's not so important. And so the awareness, I think, hasn't been there because all our efforts have been put on the Great Commission or what we think is the Great Commission and saying, go and baptize. But the Great Commission also says teach. And what it's really about is make disciples. Yes. And disciples aren't people who you baptize one year and they're gone the next or even 10 years later. Yeah. Can we unpack some of these? I'm, I'm just still recovering and, <laughs> and trying to formulate the next question. Is this more pronounced in certain regions is it's true everywhere and that's the you know disturbing and distressing thing it's true everywhere and if and when one talks to church leaders one-on-one -on -one, 
they will all say, look, this is a problem in my territory, in my region, in my country. Can you in the general conference help us? And we've been, we've been trying to do that, but it's a problem everywhere. Places where evangelism is successful and where it's not. Places where church growth is fast and where it's not. It's a problem everywhere. Extraordinary. And what, what, this, this is such a huge number. What research, how has the church responded with, with this? So in 2013, the church commissioned two different studies of former Adventists. We commissioned two different ones because, you know, it's, it's hard to find uh, former Adventists. Current Adventists, they're on the church rolls. You know, you can find them. You can administer a questionnaire. So we did two different studies, one quantitative, one qualitative, different methodologies to see if they were telling us the same thing. And actually the results from both are broadly the same, which means we can have confidence in them. Two different methodologies didn't throw up different results. They're telling us the same thing. And what was it telling us? It's telling us, put crudely, that the, the local church is not a caring, supporting environment for church members. What's happening? Or what isn't happening? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think perhaps we should also consider, though, who are these people? Right. I think the first question many people would say is, well, they're, maybe they're not proper, really good Adventists to begin with. But actually, a significant percentage have been in the church for more than 10 years. Um, most of them uh, study the Bible at about the same frequency as church members. We've done a survey of church members in that time, and that showed that 74% studied their Bible several times a week. And 74% of ex-members studied their Bible several times a week. Um, so we can't say, oh, it's just that they weren't proper Adventists, they weren't studying their Bibles, because they were. Um, and the really fascinating thing, Anthony, is we ask them questions, we ask them two questions about the Scripture and the spirit of prophecy. One is, do you believe in the Bible as being authoritative in the way as taught by the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Eighty percent of people who have left the church say yes, I still accept the Seventh-day Adventist teach, church's teaching about the scripture. And we also ask them about, do you believe that Ellen White was a prophet or a prophetic uh, uh, minister inspired by God? 58% of former Adventists say, yes, I still believe that Ellen White exercised prophetic ministry. So these are not people who have abandoned belief in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And Anthony, after all, if people, if you don't believe in the Seventh-day Sabbath, mm -hmm. If you do believe that God torments people for all eternity in hell, then maybe the Seventh-day Adventist church isn't the best fit for you. But that's not what we're talking about. These people are very close still to what Seventh-day Adventists believe. So the overwhelming majority still believe in the doctrinal positions of the Adventist church? Correct. They still, more than half, still have a, a high respect for the, the ministry of Ellen White. Correct. And yet they've chosen to, to walk away. This is it. And then you, you know, a lot of the reasons that I have heard from church leaders over the years for why people leave, once you do the research, turn out not to be true. Okay. Now you've done research on why people leave. Yes. Now I'd like to come back after this break and really spend some time on what it is that, uh, the, the causes of, of why people leave. Having talked about why they don't leave, let's talk about why they do. Exactly. We'll be right back with more Ministry in Motion.
Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is caring for those who are giving up on the church and our guest, David Trim. Now, David, we've discovered that people don't necessarily leave the church because of a, a doctrinal conflict with the church. Correct. So why is it? There's been quite a deal of analysis of this. Why is it that people do leave the church typically? So what we found is that uh, the largest single reason people give for why they stopped attending church, this is people who later left the church, 28% said there was no particular reason I just drifted away. But then that does kind of beg the question, well, what led you to drift away? So we didn't just ask that question. We asked a series of questions to try to get deeper insights. And we discovered there are two main factors, um, difficulties in people's lives and conflict. Okay, let's unpack those. Difficulties in people's lives, what, what, what are we talking so about? So what we found is that overwhelmingly people who've left the church in the 12 months before they, they did leave the church suffered a range of stressful life events. It could be um, serious illness of a partner, of a parent. Uh, it could be that they had to move to a new place. And actually, it's not widely understood. Um, research shows that moving to a new city, a new town, actually it produces the same physiological, much less psychological effects as the death of a family member. It's extremely stressful. Um, there are all that, that one loses a job. Uh, there, there are a whole range of things. But what they have in common is that people went through something in the 12 months before they stopped uh, being a member of the church, something really difficult. And I think, you know, what we see from the qualitative research, the in-depth interviews, is that very often people stop attending church because of that. They're caring for a die or, an, or a seriously ill parent or family member, and they're so exhausted, they just don't feel like going to church on a Sabbath morning. They're dealing with uh, a quarrel within their, their family. They're dealing perhaps with the adultery or potential divorce of a partner. And going to church just seems like too much, especially if they feel that they might be meted with censure and disapproval when they go to church. And so people stop attending church, not meaning it to be permanent. And then five or six years later, we hear this time and again, I just realized I'd left the church. Mm. Now, how that actually happens, we can come back to. It's, it's not, there, there's a reason that they don't come back. But this is what happens. They've suffered really serious difficulties in their life. And so they stop attending church because of that. And the problem is nobody notices they're gone. Ouch. But we can come back to that. The second yeah. reason, if I may, sure. on conflict. We found when we asked people to rank the reasons that they left the church. And we gave them a wide range of options. And some people think it's worship style. Worship styles is very low down. Some people think, again, it's, oh, it's theological disputes or what the world church is doing. Those things all feature, but is of minor importance. Overwhelmingly, what we heard again and again is conflict. Conflict within my family. Conflict with a spouse. Conflict within the local church. Conflict with pastors. Conflict with elders. Conflict, conflict, conflict. Um, and again, in the face of that kind of conflict, going to church on a Sabbath morning and seeing the person that you're uh, having this uh, dispute with seems too much. So they stop attending church. It's not meant to be an irrevocable decision. And this is why I'm glad we've sort of moving away from using terms like backslider or apostate. 
Because to me, apostate implies that you've kind of said, I'm rejecting God. These people haven't consciously chosen to reject the church. It's in the face of certain things that happen. They stop attending church and then they find nobody notices that they're not there. Yeah. Now, I've got a hunch that I'd like to explore with you. So a, a person's going through a difficult time. And I know what I'm like when I'm going through a difficult time. Yes. You, you know, I personally, I can be argumentative. I can be difficult to get along with. And I can imagine when a person's going through that difficult time, if they do come to church, they're possibly not quite themselves. Yes. And you have perhaps some conflict bubbling away. And then the reaction of the church yes. is this conflict. And then when somebody misses a weekend or something like that, there's almost a, a breath of relief from the church. Yes. Ah, this person isn't here. Yes. How should we respond when, when there is a person that's, that's somewhat difficult? And yes. when it's a, a kind, almost a, a personality change at times that can happen to the person. That's true, Anthony. And, and the research we have does, the, the qualitative research does hint at that that's what's going on. Um, I do think this is why we can't just say it's either difficult life circumstances or conflict because the two very often do come together. Um, I think the key is we need to know as pastors, as elders, as ministry leaders, as deacons and deaconesses, we need to know what's happening in church members' lives and that's the problem. I think that's the nub of the problem. People don't know and they don't demonstrate that they care. If we know what's going on, then it's possible to extend that kind of care to them. I also think, you know, we need training for pastors and elders in conflict resolution. The principles of conflict resolution are not, uh, are not uh, desperately hard to learn. I mean, solving Israel-Palestine, that's hard. But solving conflict at the local level, is, the principles are well known. People are just not trained in it. But they need, people need to care. Yes. Yeah. That's the... That's the most important thing, and that's you've chosen for the title. We have to care and we have to show that we care. So that there is a natural human reaction when, when a person is difficult. If you get the opportunity, the natural instinct is to avoid, to almost screen the person, screen them out. Yes. Um, if somebody's popular, if they've got a nice, warm personality, we can gravitate to these people and in, embrace them with fellowship. Yes. yes. But you seem to be telling a different story here. Well, and actually that can be a problem. We heard this over and over again. It's anecdotal, but we hear it time and time again of a breakup in a spouse, a couple, and one of the, the couple is very popular and nobody pays attention to the, the real rights and wrongs. One person is judged responsible and is shunned uh, and the other is regarded, who is already popular, is regarded as, you know, and, and, and they're, they're affirmed. And we don't necessarily want to be going into the ins and outs, the details of people's conflict, but as church members, we should be trying to support and care for them all. Yes. And, you know, what you've highlighted also, yes, people are difficult, so we start to react differently to them, and then that just causes more conflict. These things can become a kind of cycle, almost a downward spiral involving more and more people. Uh, which is why pastors need to prioritize this. They need to be aware of it. They need to see the potential implications. Yeah. Let me switch track here a little. 
How open are non-attending or former Adventists to returning to the church? That's a great question. We, we, we probe this in the research. And if you compile all the people who say they're open to some extent or they're open depending on the way they're contacted, it's 76%. 76% say if it's done in the right way, I am open to reconnecting and reuniting with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now think about it, Anthony. That's think, extraordinary, 76%. Think about, that means there are millions of people who already believe fundamentally and largely what we believe, who are just waiting to be approached in a caring, loving, Christ-like spirit to reunite with God's church. Three out of four that, that have left the Correct. church are willing to come back. Indeed. What I would like to talk with you straight after this break is the solutions. How do we do this? And there's a positive message there that I want to explore with you. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is caring for those who are giving up on the church and our guest, David Trim. Now, David, 76% of those who are distanced from the church are open to returning. Let's explore the, the best way to do this. What would you suggest? Well, I, I think part of it is to ensure that there is some basis for contact. You know, we talked, we, we asked people who had distanced from, themselves from the church what happened after they stopped attending church. 40% said they were never contacted. Wow. This is why we can say, you know, they stop attending church. Nobody notices they're there. You begin to wonder how important is this to really, how important am I in this so-called family? Really, it's easy not to go back. And we asked how many were visited by the pastor. 9%. Mm -hmm. One in 11 were visited by the pastor when they stopped attending church. But here's the thing. Of those who are willing to reconnect, uh, there is a correlation with that in being visited after they stopped, whether by the pastor, by the elder, by another church member. So the key is try to have that, that basis for contact. So when people do stop attending church, even when they're approaching being disfellowshipped or resigning their membership, visit them and encourage church members, don't cut off contact uh, with former Adventists, your family and friends, because they've left formal church membership. Just the opposite, because... If you visit them now, they may not come back next Sabbath, but they're much more likely to come back later. Exactly. Now, when, when you're saying that uh, one in 11 were only visited by a pastor, is this exclusively the, the role of the pastor? Should it be only the pastor that's making contact, that's reaching out? Yeah. Anthony, it's an excellent question. I'm sure quite a number of your viewers are sort of saying, well, yes, this is important, but I'm being told that this is important and that is important. There's so many. How can I do this all? The answer is you can't. But the pastor's job here is to tell the local church that it's a priority and to train and equip the elders, the deacons create small groups and that way uh, the church is structured in such a way that people will know if a member is going through a personal crisis, is going through a difficult patch, has suddenly become extremely difficult to, to talk to or live with or has stopped attending church, hasn't been seen for four weeks. And then the pastor or the elder can visit. At some point if it's sustained, I think the pastor 
does need to visit to make the point, yes, your local church cares for you, but uh, no, this is not just up to the pastor, but the pastor does need to see that this is important, prioritize it, and to cast the vision. And cast the vision to the... the to the, the entire the, church, yes. yes. And to do the training and equipping. Yeah. How important is it that the, the contact is made reasonably close to as soon as absenteeism's observed. That is, we seem to find a correlation for that. And we probably need to do more research, but the evidence we have suggests that the sooner, the better. Yeah. Uh, but the other, if, you're, if you're going to approach somebody who hasn't been seen for months or years, or indeed you know has left the church, has been disfellowshipped or whatever, um, the evidence suggests that one of the best ways to start is with an apology. Now, it may be that uh, all the evidence the pastor has is that this really was the fault of the person in question. But simply by beginning, we're saying, you know, I'm sorry for whatever we in the church did or didn't do, but we let you down. You've given up on the church and it was our job to help you stay in the church. So we're sorry for whatever we did or didn't do. We want you to come back. Mm. You're valued. We miss you. We love you. That's helpful. Thank you, David. Now, how important is prayer in this process? Of course, everything has to be founded on prayer. And I think there's another opportunity for connection. Even if somebody you know is, is flirting with actually formally leaving the church, they'll generally be open to praying together. So the key is, I think, to set up, again, the small group ministry. They can all be praying for a member who's going through a difficult set of circumstances or has stopped attending church. So have the, the network of people who are praying for that person, but also there's an opportunity to make contact to say, you know, we understand you're not very happy with us, but can we pray together? Yeah. And in that third story of Luke 15, where the prodigal son returns, the issue wasn't so much with the father or with the servants. The issue was... The older brother. <laughs> yeah, with the brother. What do you think the church can learn from this, Dave? Anthony, if we're going to take this seriously, if we're going to say there are millions of people in the world and there may be hundreds in my particular city as a pastor, um, even thousands, depending where you live, in my region, who were members of the church who were with us doctrinally, if we're going to take this seriously, it's not enough just to go and say, please come back. The church has to be a welcoming place when they come back. And it's anecdotal evidence, but we have many, many stories of people who said, yes, I will go back. And they are not welcome. There was one who uh, indeed was asked to sign the visitor's book. Now, I bet the lady who said that thought she was being very witty. It was a very clever joke, but it crushed that woman. So we need to train our members to be as welcoming as was the father of the prodigal son. Mm, yeah. Otherwise, and we also, need, <laughs> we also need to reduce the conflict in our churches because if people come back, start reattending church, which they stop because of conflict, and the same dynamics of conflict and hatefulness and spitefulness are going on, then they'll just leave again. So we come back to that importance of conflict resolution but then also training people. Somebody who comes back is not to be dismissed. They're to be loved. We are to be like the father of the prodigal son. Now, we're just down to just a few seconds left. You've, you've mentioned the importance of small groups, and I want to bring you back there. What kind of small groups are you describing? Are they, because this person has been baptized in the past, they still believe the doctrinal positions of the church. 
what, what kind of things are they studying and doing in these small groups? I think the key is to have a small group that studies the Bible together, but also that prays together. And I don't mean just at the beginning of a Sabbath school class or whatever, that prays, that spends a lot of time together praying, that eats together, that does things together socially, that has strong ties that bind them together, that indeed make people feel that I am loved. And even if I'm in conflict with that person over there, I know my local church loves me. So you're describing here a, a nurturing, caring environment that's, being, that's receiving spiritual sustenance from, from prayer, from community and from the Word. Indeed. Yeah. David, thank you. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for raising the awareness of this major issue for us here on Ministry in Motion. Anthony, thank you for profiling it with your audience today. On today's program, Caring for Those Who Are Giving Up on the Church with David Trim, we discovered seven important points. First of all, because of an emphasis on baptism and lack of emphasis on discipleship, more than 40% of church members have left the denomination. The second point that we discovered was that the overwhelming majority of people who have left still believe the church's teachings. The third, people tend to leave because of life difficulties and or church conflict. The fourth point that we discovered was that local church leaders and members should know what's happening in the lives of members and minister to those who are struggling. The fifth point was the vast majority of people who have left are willing to return if approached in a caring way. And the sixth point was the pastor's role is to train people to visit and create small groups for warm fellowship and accountability. And the final point was by God's grace, a congregation should welcome a returning person in the same way that the prodigal son was welcomed by his father. Thanks for joining us on today's Ministry in Motion.